welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about how romance is represented in games. Sometimes it's nice to take a break from digging tunnels and inflating subterranean animals with a bicycle pump until they explode, but is love the answer? To help me get to the bottom of this is a man who was so excited to bang the bad boy dream daddy that he hit the wrong button and missed his chance, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Steven, be cool, man. My wife listens to this. <laughs> that moment in that stream will live on in infamy. Listen, I was looking for a lasting relationship. It's not just about the physical, okay? So uh, whatever that your presumptions not, are. That is not what was happening at that moment. Prove it. So, there's no there's no recordings <laughs> surviving that. <laughs> for those that don't know, Jared was doing a stream to raise money for a children's hospital and was playing Dream Daddy. And literally exactly what I just described happened. We the chat was electric, dude. It was like it. Dude, <laughs> I, I didn't I, I, have I, as much interaction as I did in that like two hours that I played Dream Daddy the entire day. I've never seen a Twitch chat that electric. Like everyone was so ready for you to hook up with the bad boy Dream Daddy, and then you just hit the wrong prompt, and the energy was just sucked out of the room. It was the funniest thing I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> Video games are hard. Yeah, and there's there's nothing funnier than trying to trying to bang a, a dream daddy for the children. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jared, we we have a we have a great show lined up today and a, and a great guest here to talk about romance with. Uh, she's a community d- developer at Kit Fox Games and author of Peach Butt Comics. Please welcome Victoria Tran. Victoria, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. And I really wanted to input something about Bad Boy Dream Daddy, who is my favorite dream daddy. <laughs> He's such a he's such a, a rebel. He is, is he? He's your favorite. He's your favorite de- dream daddy. Yeah, I have that unfortunate thing where I'm like, oh yeah, the bad boy dream daddy. I like that guy. And then I like also messed up my prompt and it went terribly. <laughs> no spoilers, but I was like, oh, what? I didn't know that could happen. <laughs> it, my favorite dream daddy in the, in there was the vampire dream daddy, mm. mostly because I felt like he was the only genuine dream daddy in that game. He was the only one that I thought said what he meant and meant what he said really? everyone else seemed like they had a like some something fake going on and yeah there. what are you trying what, what kind of bill of goods are you trying to sell me i know that guy's just a vampire and he's proud <laughs> 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 well victoria thank you so much for joining us as i said you're a, a community developer and I, i'm not entirely sure what a, a community developer is what what is your job as a community developer at kitfox Yeah, so basically, I guess the closest thing you would say it is, is a community manager. Um, But essentially, uh, like all the social media, anything outward facing, the PR, marketing, like that's all me. Um, It's my job to, you know, make sure the community is engaged and also increase it and make sure everyone's happy. It's kind of like that thing where because Kid Fox Games is an indie studio and we're a team of eight full time people. So I'm usually just running around doing a lot of little things and my main thing is obviously community engagement um, and PR. Nice. So that's a nice little tight-knit group. It is. It's like a little family. Kit Fox Games is working on the, the game Boyfriend Dungeon, <laughs> a game all about romancing your weapons in a dungeon, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the game? That's that's sort of the short pitch. That's the pitch I always hear when the, the game is brought up. But what what is Boyfriend Dungeon beyond that? Yeah, so Boyfriend Dungeon is a dating simulator dungeon crawler mashup where essentially you go into the dungeons, you know, you fight monsters, uh, you 
get loot, but the catch is that in the dungeon, sometimes you'll find different weapons and they actually turn into hot people that you can date and romance and you actually get stronger by romancing them and, you know, making them fall in love with you because the power of love. It conquers all, I've heard. Yeah, you know, it does. And Boyfriend Dungeon (laughs) is here to prove that. How are you enjoying working on the project so far? Is this the first game you've worked on or have you worked on others in the past? No, I've worked on others in the past. Uh, With Kit Fox, I've worked on The Shrouded Isle and Moon Hunters. Um, The Shrouded Isle is a cult management simulator and Moon Hunters is an action RPG, personality test RPG based on like myths and constellations. But in the past, I've worked on some other games, which I can't talk about, unfortunately. (laughs) But it was with like a really large mobile game, um, kind of about storytelling. What's your favorite part about Boyfriend Dungeon so far working on it? There's so many things. Um, One of them mainly being like it's a game that I've always kind of wanted, but never really knew I wanted. And that's a sentiment I've heard a, a lot from people where it's like, oh, I really like always kind of wanted to date, th- like, you know, play a dating sim, but I got really bored because reading, you know, whatever, it's fine. But I think most exciting thing for me about Boyfriend Dungeon is that it's inclusive, it's diverse, but also like it's wholesome and it's just plain fun to just talk to people about because they all get really excited about it. Now, how has the the community feedback around it been? Our, our last episode was actually all about community feedback. So, I mean, having you on here as a community developer, I was wondering if you could maybe speak a little bit to how the response from the community has influenced the design of the game. If, if you can talk about that at all, if you have any examples of, of ways that you've seen people's excitement translate into actual things that take place in the game. Yeah, so actually, a funny story about Boyfriend Dungeon was that uh, we were originally really unsure about the premise. Like, it's a kind of it's kind of weird, right? It's a dating simulator, dungeon crawler mashup, and we were like, I'm not even sure that this game would take off. And like, should we invest like two years of development time into it and all the resources when we could be doing something else? Um, and we actually just decided to announce it kind of early. Kind of, we kind of regret announcing it so early, but it's okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we just announced it because we were all really nervous about the concept and we just did it to see like if anyone would be interested and it took off. So we we're like, okay, this is probably this is probably something we should be making. Um, and yeah, we're we try we I can't talk too much about like you know what's going on, but we are like very aware of um, the community feedback that could come from a game sort of like this. So we do have a lot of um, consultants um christine love from lady killer and bind is consulting on the writing um and we're bringing in some ta- uh, talented writers like meg Janeth from 80 days uh, just so like we really like make it inc- as inclusive and as diverse as possible with you know some talented help i remember when the game got announced it like it blew up like, <laughs> my, my twitter feed was full of people who were like finally get to date my sword <laughs> <laughs> When does it come out? Uh, you said you announced it a little early, but what do you guys have a release date set for it? 2019 with a Kickstarter in, on August 15th. Oh, right on. You'll have to remind us when the Kickstarter starts so we can make sure and uh, get the announcements out there for people who are interested in helping support romancing swords. Yes, please. <laughs> you, you're also the author of Peach Butt Comics, um, which which are great, by the way. If, if people haven't seen any Peach Butt Comics or haven't followed you guys on Twitter, definitely seek it out. It's very funny stuff. I guess first I got to ask, where, where did the name come from for Peach Butt? So um, Peach Butt Comics is a thing started by me and a friend, uh, Sarah Gavigan. Um, and when we were thinking of the name for it, so we're both 
females, but we're also just definitely just jokesters. And I was just like, I just want sort of an ugly name, but also kind of cute. So like the dichotomy of like cute and ugly together is like my favorite thing. Um, and for some reason, we were just stuck on the word butt. I think we're maybe eight years old in our humor, maybe. But yeah, so we were like butt. And then we were at the time just like really into baking. And we were like, peaches were our thing. And we we're like, what if we just put peach butt together? And that it was a joke. And then it became real. And that's basically the whole reason it's named Peach Butt. Now, where did the where did the premise for the comic come from? Yeah. Okay. So it was it was interesting in that when I was so I originally thought of Peach Butt, um, and I have no drawing talent whatsoever, which is why Sarah is drawing. Thankfully, she's a genius. Um, but I was essentially just in that like mindset where I was as a community developer, I was really aware that a lot of people don't understand what goes into game development just like i'm sure like i used to actually want to work in health communications and stuff like that and there's always like a disconnect between like um, health jargon and what that public actually knows about it and i kind of felt the same way about game development where i'm like oh it, it would be great if more people understood what it was like to be a game developer but also specifically a female game developer or um, a queer game developer because it is so nuanced and different and I thought comics were a great way to just disseminate information like really quickly and in, you know kind of in that jokey format that I'm a big fan of um, yeah so that's why I decided I wanted a comic about game development about females and just about what it's like to be working in this environment so gamers could also kind of figure out what it's like and also game developers don't feel so lonely thinking of the same things that I do. Again, it's fantastic. So everyone should check out Peach Butt Comics uh, and we'll make sure to get a link out to that as well. Coming up, you have a talk at PAX West with friend of the show and two-time guest Tanya DePass. What, what, what are you guys talking about at, at PAX? Yeah, so the official title is called Game Smoochers Date a Pigeon or Sword Because Love is Weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's essentially a, it's going to be a panel with um, other talented people, like you said, Tanya, Sky Williams, and a friend I met at PAX East called Kat. And it's basically about romance and video games. And honestly, it's kind of a chance to let all of us talk about our favorite video game crushes, no matter what they are. But usually they're kind of weird because, you know, games. Uh, yeah, I'm mm. really excited for it. This is going to sort of be like a, a spoiler for that talk then, this episode. It's okay. It's okay. They'll they'll have much more interesting things to say than me, probably. When is when is the talk, and how can people attend if they're if they're interested? Yeah, so it'll be at Pax West um, on Sunday, September second, at six thirty p.m. in the Hippogriff Theater. Are all of the theaters named like that? I've never been to Pax West, but are are all the theaters <laughs> like fantasy creature names? Yeah, they're all kind of. I mean, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I know they're all kind of weird names, and I'm into that. I'm into that. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 totally there for that. That's that's tight if that's how they named it. Because I'm imagining it's at a convention hall, right? And it's not always hosting <laughs> nerds like us. <laughs> they have to be like business meetings that go on there where they're like, uh, just meet us at the <laughs> the Gryffindor Hall. <laughs> I would love that though. Can you imagine? Just go like, yeah, meet me in the Dream Daddy hallway. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna talk stocks and bonds. <laughs> Well, Victoria, it sounds like, honestly, you sound like the, the perfect guest to talk about the, the topic of romance and games with. And we usually kind of start out the conversation talking a little bit about the history of our, our topic. So, Jared, 
why don't we jump into a little bit of the history of romance in video games? Where did it all start? There's a couple of games I want to touch on, but one of the earliest ones we could find came out in 1989. It's called Dragon Knight, and it came out for uh, multiple NEC PC systems and also the TurboGrafx-16. It was developed by Masato Hiruta and published by ELF Corporation, and it was only released in Japan. Similar to other RPGs of the time, the player explores dungeons in a first-person perspective, fights monsters, and collects treasure. The game is actually referred to as a eroge, I think is how you pronounce it, or H-game, echi or hentai. But part of the story involves saving women who then reward the player with sexual favors presented in a cutscene. Uh, the third game in the series, Knights of Zentar, was one of the first released outside of Japan, and it was actually really well received. Some credit of the success of the English localization, which added a lot of humor, and some credit the success of this English localization uh, because they added a bunch of humor and self-awareness, I'm, I'm assuming, to appeal to a broader audience outside of Japan. <laughs> I don't I don't know how, how well these games do in the United States. I know there's a lot of sort of like these dating sims. I don't know, like, I, I just don't know much about this erotic game genre. It's something I, I haven't really been exposed to much. From what I've heard in Japan, a lot of people don't really, a lot of people associate PC gaming today with this type of game because it's just more of a, uh, it's more readily available, it's less regulated, and, and you know, handheld systems are much more popular and, and, and PlayStation and stuff like that is much more popular than, than PC gaming for that reason. Now, I, I have no personal experience with uh, Dragon Knight or any of the games in the series. Victoria, have you played anything in the Dragon Knight series or in making Boyfriend Dungeon? Were you involved in any research that in involved these old Iroge games? No, actually. It's actually really interesting to hear about them. Maybe like our game designer Tanya might have, but definitely not for me. My like first romance game was definitely like those, you know, those new ground kind of sexual games. Yeah. Yeah, so those were my first romance games when I was younger because I didn't know the difference. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, no, she's naked. <laughs> now, now, when you were in those games that you were playing, were they censored at all? Because I know that in the Japanese games, I, I think specifically in the Dragon Knight games, there is sort of like the pixelation over any of the the parts of actual nudity represented in that game. Yeah, I think there, yeah, it was pixelation only where like you know the bottom half was but otherwise nothing japan really yeah. has a, a different culture and outlook on this type of thing i actually just watched an episode of uh, anthony bourdain's parts unknown where he he goes to tokyo and he spent a lot of time talking about manga and hentai and how it's just like common like people like you know manga is huge and a lot of it's pretty sexually charged and people just read it openly mm -hmm. on the trains and, and restaurants it's just like totally not a big deal in that culture I mean, it's it's funny. It's nothing new, but there's definitely that sentiment in the United States, right? That it's like, oh, don't show these people, you know, expressing themselves sexually. But you could definitely be playing Call of Duty, shooting people in the face on the bus, and no one would bat an eye. Yeah, right? I mean, like, watching mm. Walking there's, there's Dead on an airplane, and it's just like the most horrific acts of violence you can imagine. I don't know. I don't know that that one is necessarily better than the other. It's just, I guess, an interesting thing to point out. Uh, what else, Jared? What what? Let's let's jump forward a little bit. What else we got? So yeah, an another game came out several years later in 1992 called Treasures of the Savage Frontier. Way back in episode two, we talked about the game Pool of Radiance, and this is kind of like a distant sequel to that game and a, a sort of a continuation of the video game Advanced Dungeons and Dragons: Forgotten Realms. 
it was built on this gold box engine that a lot of those RPGs at the time were. And it was kind of later on in that engine's life that this started to, that this game was developed. It's a hybrid, you know, a top-down isometric first-person RPG with, you know, a lot of the same mechanics as the first game. It, it was kind of a, it kind of just took the first game and put a new story behind it. Um, but the reason we're talking about it here is because in this RPG, eventually you get to a part in the story where you could choose a romantic partner. And it was based on your gender. You would either go if, you know, you had to pick the character of the opposite gender. But it had very specific gameplay implications. Um, if things were going well and your party was was really excited about the person that you picked, they would accept them and the two people who were in love would perform better in battle. Conversely, if one of them goes down, they will have like a basically a mental breakdown and they'll be uncontrollable for the rest of the encounter um, and perform worse for the rest of the game. So it was kind of like a uh, risk reward mechanic. This is interesting because this sort of established a, a lot of different precedents in the way that romance was handled in video games after this point, specifically in RPGs. Uh, one of the really cool things about this story was that they had released the game Gateway to the Savage Frontier, which was very successful, and then they wanted to follow it up pretty quickly, which was when they released Treasures of the Savage Frontier. But they were already working on another game engine, which was called the Dark Sun game engine, but it wasn't going to be completed in the timeline that they wanted to release this sequel. So instead, they used the old engine, which is called the Gold Box engine, and they couldn't really advance on it too much because it was this super dated engine. So instead what they did was they got creative with how they changed the game by adding in this idea of romance, which had never existed in any of these Dungeons and Dragon games before that point. And I think one of the things that was really cool about it, because behind the scenes, the game was tracking the way that you as a player played your character. So like mm -hmm. if you if you kind of were shy and stood in the back and let let the other characters handle it, your your love interest would be less impressed with you and, and be less likely to progress the the romance. And, and so is like the way that you play the game directly affected how that NPC would interact with you, which was kind of revolutionary for a 1992 game. Now, Victoria, do you have any experience with any of these D and D gold box games? No, but now I want to. It, it's actually <laughs> they're really cool. They're cool. Like, yeah. I was watching they, uh, some video of it, and it's the graphics are like they're not terrible. The, the the art design is actually it holds up in a in a interesting way. Do you play D and D at all, Victoria? Do you have any experience with the pen and paper game? No, I. It's also one of those things that I I wish I could get into. I need to find a group in Montreal, which probably exists of of like D and D players. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, there's got to be tons of groups in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of fun if you ever get around to it. Yeah, it's it's a blast. The the cool thing about these gold box games, all these games built on the gold box engine, was that you could start a character with Pool of Radiance, which was the the first game in the series, and then carried that character all the way through. Like every time they released a new game, you could bring your character over with their stats and their level. And, so it's and like a legacy all their game. Previous experiences. Yeah, yeah. I and I think maybe the first example of a game that did this, which is which is neat too. It, it, this game sounds amazing. I want to try and go back and see if I could find a, a copy of it that I could play at some point just to see what this was like. Because it reminds me a lot of, of a lot of games that, that came after it. Particularly one of my first experiences with romance in a game was Final Fantasy VII, which did a very similar thing 
where your behavior in the game was being constantly tracked. And then at a certain point, you would end up on a date with like potentially one of three different characters. Before we go too far down that road, let's take a step back and define romance and video games in a modern context. So Victoria, when you're thinking about romance in games today, what first sort of springs to your mind? Honestly, when I think of romance in games, it's a lot about developing relationships with characters and getting to know them um, and playing a part in like, you know, kind of opening them up and learning about their characters. So things like Mario, where he saves a princess, I don't consider that romance. Agreed. That's just a goal, I guess, that they kind of just put in there. Um, Zelda, even then, I'm not too into that. Yeah, so romance for me is definitely about relationships and like learning more about a character. No, that's a great way to put it because I was thinking about games like Mario and Zelda, exactly like you said. And to me, those don't like obviously they're an expression of romance, but it's not like romance gameplay necessarily because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get that that kiss at the end of the game from the princess. And that's really it. It doesn't really develop beyond that. Uh, Even though I don't feel like it needs to necessarily be the kiss as the end goal. I think like Night in the Woods, where it has like just a couple in it and you kind of learn about their relationship and how they interact with each other is very sweet. Um, And I kind of consider that romance, even though you're not the one romancing them, they're already in love and perfectly happy without you. Um, Yeah, I think it's just having that like, kind of connection and that empathy and that understanding of what it's like to get to know someone. I also think of a game like Red Dead Redemption. That entire game, you're trying to track down this old gang member and bring him to justice. And then when you complete that, when you finally do, that you return to your family's ranch and you resume your relationship with your wife, you know, maintaining the ranch and you resume your relationship with your son. And you know, that really that uh, husband wife relationship is not necessarily like a key component of the game, although it does sort of lend to the ending of that game. But I would consider that a romance because there's like an actual like development of those characters that happens and it has an impact on the way that that game ends. So I'm totally in your camp on this, Victoria. I think that that those kinds of expressions do count as romance sort of in this context. Now, Jared, is there a particular format or set of mechanics that comes up when we think about romance in games? You know, when we, we start talking about this, I immediately thought of Bioware's philosophies mm. on building relationships with their characters. And I think it, it was it was an interesting way to get a conversation going about, you know, more adult topics in, in video games, um, you know, at least in the modern sense. But uh, I, I feel like we're getting to a point where it should start kind of expanding on that, I guess. And when, we, when you talk about how that's implemented, it's usually just a way, a couple of lines where it's protagonist and an NPC and dialogue. And there's clearly an option, you know, if they give you one through four, one of them is clearly the option that leads you down the, the dialogue tree of like, hey, when we got fuck. I think in the I think in the Fallout series, it, the dialogue option is just called flirt. Yeah, I think that's all it is. Yeah. Just choose flirt. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do, and and it's Bioware has started to make it a popular uh, mechanic in their games, and a lot of games have have attempted other things as well. Um, but it, it, often I feel like it's kind of just thrown in there, and I it doesn't really have an Im- impact on the gameplay. It, it's just kind of this superficial thing. It's like when are you going to get the the sex cutscene? 
I kind of agree with you. I'm, I'm going to fight you on that a little bit later. Uh, Victoria, are there, are there any mechanics that you think of when it comes to relationships and, and romantic pursuit in video games? Like what are the, what are the mechanics that you enjoy seeing when you're playing a game? Um, yeah. So like dream daddy played where it's like the branching options for what you want to pick and like how you want to say it. I think that's a very popular romance kind of actual dating sim mechanic. Other things like persona five, where you can like, you know, strengthen your social links with other people and then that would make them stronger. I really enjoy that. I think it, it makes sense to me. When I think of romance mechanics, it's a lot of like the branching dialogue options. Some things like Stardew Valley, it's like you have to give them a gift every day almost to make them love <laughs> I you. I like that philosophy. Is kind of it's like you just buy someone stuff, they'll fall in love with you probably. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how it works in real life. If I gave you a watermelon once every week, you would definitely <laughs> fall in love with me. Or like The Sims, where if I just like, you know, hit chat, chat, flirt, flirt, and then suddenly <laughs> we're in bed. How did that happen? So yeah, I think <laughs> I think romance games do have a ways to go, but I'm I'm enjoying seeing the progression of like different mechanics and seeing it hopefully slowly get more and more um, nuanced like action games to get. What was your first experience in a, uh, I guess, in a more modern context, a game that represented romance? Because, you know, you said you, you started out with the uh, the Newgrounds, but was there anything... <laughs> Newgrounds? Is that what you'd said? Yeah, it's Newgrounds. I miss that. Uh, was there anything <laughs> like sort of maybe more in the AAA space that sort of kicked off your, I guess, more modern interest in the in this area? Um, I would say uh, it's difficult. It's difficult because do you count uh, Harvest Moon as AAA? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'd count it. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm not. I'm no authority on this subject, but sure. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I would say Harvest Moon, which is basically, I mean, Stardew Valley is basically like Harvest Moon in that you give gifts to people. But it, it definitely was the first one where I was like, oh, like, the goal of the game, other than farming, is to actually, you know, get married and have a family. And that was really cool to me. And I could, like, find the pers- different personalities that I liked and try to go after them and find out what they liked and all that. Okay, yeah, that was my first one. And then when I learned about Persona, where it was, like, more action-y, and, and then I found out there was, like, some romance in there. I was like, this is great. This is exactly where I needed to go. Now, with games like Stardew Valley, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because I think on a, a lot of people's, if, if you ask people for their top 10 favorite games, I think most people will have a game on there that's not about killing. And I think that they're like, you know, for me, obviously, I've got I've got Proteus on my list. But it is interesting that there is something about the experience of a game that's not about conflict that often resonates with people. And I think, you know, in some cases, games that are about romance sort of fill that spot. Jared, how about you? What, what was the first game that you remember playing that had a, a like a romantic relationship in it? Man, I, I you know, Final Fantasy VII is that, you know, I, I quickly found that I was super attached to, to Tifa in that game. Um, and I, I did. What? I know. Right? No, no, <laughs> no, that was the wrong one. That's, you made the wrong choice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, you know, I, I do remember kind of, I, I, I don't know if it counts, but Metal Gear Solid. There are women in the game, and I don't know necessarily that they're romantic in the, in, the, in the sense that we're talking about, but there's definitely like a relationship that forms between Snake and Meryl. And 
even Snake and you know, like one of the the bosses, Sniper Wolf. It, there's like there's like a deep connection that they go through, and you know how the writing is in that game. It's like can love bloom even on a battlefield? It, it's not like super nuanced, but I, I you know it was like exploring this human connection, you know, between two people, and that is not something that I you know I really encountered before that type of video game. Final Fantasy VII is where it was sort of my first experience as well, like I had said earlier. I, on my first playthrough of that game, I ended up going on the date with Eris. And was I thought like that a that mini was... game in, in like when you get to Gold Saucer and you're like in, uh, the, in the Ferris wheel? Yeah, there's like, well, there's several mini games there. I can't remember how many you play on the date, but there's definitely where you go on the, um, the roller coaster. You go on the roller coaster and you shoot the alien ships and stuff. Um, Sorry. So one of my secret shames as a game developer is that I've never played a Final Fantasy game, and that that's entire not a, that's sentence not a, that's not a shame. You okay. don't need to be ashamed about that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's most very of them kind. are not. This I am an authority on. Never mind. I don't want to get <laughs> too much hate mail. It's the fact that I heard I heard the sentence. Yeah, you're on a roller coaster and you shoot an alien spaceship. I was like, out of context, this sounds like the strangest game in the world. Uh, the, the funny part. thing is that's the that's the sim- that's the most simple part of the story. Yeah, that's like <laughs> the most grounded in reality that they think gets. <laughs> um, I went on a date with with Eris in the game, which for me then later added like more context for the scene when she eventually gets offed. I don't know that I would have the same reaction to that scene where Sephiroth kills her if I had ended up going on the date with Tifa. And and for you know, this was maybe the first first time I had played a video game that had expressed itself in this way, like a, some sort of romantic pursuit. So for me, it was it was very interesting. It actually layered on this like narrative context that wasn't there before. I mean, looking back on it now, it's not again not particularly nuanced or handled very well. And and like the ultimate payoff for going on this date with Eris is that she eventually gets fridged, which you know it has its own set of issues associated with it. But I mean, at the time, I thought that that was really neat and sort of opened this door to like, oh, video games can be more than just me shooting bad guys for hours on end, that there can be, there can be more to this experience. Victoria, what, what games lately have you been playing that have a really good representation of, of romance in them? I mean, Dream Daddy, obviously. <laughs> of course. It's quite, it's quite great at uh, re- representing romance. Um, I mentioned this before, but Night in the Woods, I feel um so there's two characters greg and angus in the game um and they're both queer but there's something so wholesome about the way they talk about each other and like how they found each other and kind of what each other mean like what they mean to each other that makes me be like oh i want this (laughs) i'm trying to think off the top of my head now which i totally had in my head but i forgot i'll get back to you on this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, is that is that representation important to you in in playing these games you know representation of uh relationships that are not necessarily heterosexual i think it's nice to have those diverse and inclusive relationships whether that's like not heteronormative at all or it's like cross-racial it, it's something that i have not really seen in the past so as like a Vietnamese woman, um, I've seen a lot of representations of my uh, culture as like very sexual. And it's been very strange for me, especially like the kind of Asian thing of like, you know, they're very like sexualized, but also like kind of coy and schoolgirly and but somehow also mm-hmm. still very sexual. Like that's very strange to me. And 
it's kind of it's, it's affected me when I was growing up in a way that I was very unclear about. Like, I was like, oh, like, maybe I'm not school girly. Like, it's weird to say, but I always like, I mean, you have to look more innocent to be cuter in like grand scheme of things. Um, but no, but seeing like different uh, perspectives and different storylines and people kind of creating their own, putting their own stories into it, it helps me, I think, learn more about other people and helps me connect with them. And again, like forms that kind of relationship that I look for in games because I'm not someone, I I used to like love Grand Theft Auto and games like that, but more recently, like the world is so stressful and I'm in that mindset where I just want to be relaxed and I want to learn and I want to be comfortable in a setting that's I find that I have found in games. Yeah, and we've we've said it on this show many times. Like there, there's a part of me that's, I, I mean, as a straight white dude is tired of seeing just representations of straight white dudes in games. I, I definitely can appreciate when a game tries to show me a story that's different than anything I've seen before. And if that if that story is from a different culture or is from a different, you know, marginalized community, I'm down with that. In Night in the Woods, how did the representation of that relationship affect the gameplay for you? How did it affect the way that you actually played that game? Yeah, so to like explain the game sort of, it is you're not you're playing this character May who's come back to like her town, like her small town, and she like quit college, um, and some like you know weird things are happening. But she has this best friend called Greg, and Greg's in a relationship with Angus. And it's just, it's not like one of those things where it was like, here, this is a homosexual relationship and you will learn from it. It was just like a casual thing, like in passing, where it's like, it's not a big deal in the like scheme of the um, game, where it's like, oh, they're not like always pointing out like, hey, yeah, we're in a homosexual relationship and we're trying to represent things. It was just nice and I think refreshing to just see it and have it be so normal. So this relates back to when um, I'm writing for Peach, but it's like having things feel more normal for other people might be very important. Um, Like how, like when Ellen was first a thing on TV, like it was very strange to have like, you know, a queer uh, female in the spotlight and just having it around and having like a healthy, wholesome relationship in a game that you're playing and it just happens to be queer was like really powerful to me in terms of like playing it and just learning more about them. I'm pretty sure we talked about this with Tanya when we had her on the show, but I think one of the things that she had said is you don't have to have a reason for your character to be gay. Yeah. It can just be gay. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't have to be the point of the thing that you're, the story that you're telling that you can just write a character that's homosexual and just have that be normal because it, 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 I mean, it is, it is normal. It's perfectly, it's perfectly normal. It doesn't need to be a a big thing in in every story that, that gay characters are in. Jared, what, what was a game that had a good representation of romance in your mind? So a few years ago, I played a game called To the Moon, and it, I think it was pretty popular. Most you, have you guys played To the Moon? Yeah, <laughs> I have. So I have good. not. I'm familiar with it. It's like the one where you uh, are granting sort of like the last wish to the dying man. Is that it? Yeah. So the synopsis okay, yeah. of, of that story. So it's a it's a game. It looks like an old Super Nintendo game with sprites and everything. It's, it's it was built on the RPG Maker engine. And it's very it's very story driven, you know. It's there's not a whole lot of decisions to be made, 
But the synopsis of the story is this corporation grants people their last wishes by basically implanting memories to them. So the main character is this guy, Johnny. He's on his deathbed, and these doctors are trying to fulfill his last last wish. And his last wish is to go to the moon. But he doesn't know why he wants to go to the moon. He's, he's not sure like why that is the one thing in his life that he has regrets about. And so the doctors insert themselves into his memories. It's kind of like this interactive virtual world that they go in and see these representations of of Johnny's memories. And it kind of goes through Johnny's entire life from when he's a child up until, you know, the the period in which, you know, the the game opens up with the doctors and Johnny on his deathbed. But it is like it is some of the best romance writing I have ever seen in a video game. Maybe some of the best writing I've seen in a game, period. Um it goes into how relationships are very complicated. They aren't, there's not all happy. You know, one of the things is that his, he meets his wife as a child at a fair, but then loses memory of her and doesn't re-encounter her until several years later. And uh, they end up getting married and his wife throughout his life kind of drops these hints and trying to get him to remember the ways that they met. And it's, it's, they go through like the, the good times, the bad times. And it was like one of the first games I remember, like I literally was like almost crying at the end of it. It, it was just so well done that uh, I, I really highly encourage anybody to play that game. I, I don't want to spoil it because it is just that well written. How could you not cry at the end of it? So you brought up something in talking about that, which is that relationships are, are complicated. And I think that this is something that for me is missing from the majority of representations of romance in games. We talk a lot about topics that are, it's, it's difficult to do, you know, like things in video games that are hard to implement because of technical reasons or otherwise. That it's just, it's very hard to do. Um, and I think that relationships might be one of the hardest. It's humans are complicated and no one has the same experience. So like, how do you, how do you represent that? Like, if you're going to put that in your game, how do you do that without, you know, especially in games that are, they give you agency over the story, you know? You know, since the outset of video games, we have been honing to a fine edge the ability to simulate killing, right? Like, we, we, ha- we, can, we can simulate, like, bullet drop, and we have, we've designed AI systems that, that you know can maneuver enemies around a very complicated battlefield and, and and we've spent so much energy since the very beginning of games trying to figure out how to represent a, what is also very complicated you know war and conflict and we have not been so interested in developing social interactions like how social interactions are represented in games so is it difficult i think you know the idea of looking at um representing relationships in video games right now seems like like oh my god how do you how do you do it right like human beings are so complicated and relationships are so tumultuous you know like at any moment you could say or do the wrong thing and and a relationship could end but I don't think we've invested the amount of time and resources and mind share to this topic as we could have if we weren't so interested in representing other things in games. Sure, and something like like to the moon, it's a very driven experience. You know, you're you're basically playing through someone else's vision of this. So it's not, you know, it's not like you're not developing a dynamic relationship, you know. This is someone else's story. 
So I, I don't know. I mean, how how do you like how do you put that uh, a relationship into like a mathematical algorithm? <laughs> no, it's true. I definitely agree with that. I think that's one of the things that we have struggled with, especially because so much of romance is like dialogue systems, but so many branches of dialogue systems. Um, but it made me remember some of the games that I thought were really good talking about romance in modern times, I suppose. Um, have you played Florence on the mobile? On mobile? No, I'm not even familiar with it. Oh, that's that's the Annapurna game, correct? Yes, yes. I, have not, I haven't played it. I, I really wanted to get around to playing it. I have not had an opportunity yet. Yeah, no, that's like a beautiful way, I think, to represent a relationship. So basically, not to like spoil anything, but it is about like a relationship and it has like many puzzles where it almost like the dialogue can correspond with the puzzle and how well you do. And the worse like in the relationship it gets, the like weirder and harder the puzzles become. Um, and I think that was a really clever way of kind of representing relationships and romance in a game. One of my issues with the way that relationships get represented also is that it, it seems very um, like fatalistic, like the the companion that you're romancing almost has no say in the relationship. And maybe this, you know, this might be me potentially like reading too much into the way that these experiences are typically played out in games. But I think of a game like mass effect, which I I think the romance in that game did a very good job of lending context to the narrative, you know, especially since that game is all about developing relationships with your companions and then having to make difficult decisions about them. But at the start of that game, you can literally say like, I'm, I'm going to bang Liara in this game. I'm going to make that my pursuit. And, and it feels like that, that NPC has no agency in that experience. Again, where real relationships are about many things like, you know, mutual attraction, you know, timing, you know, influences in, you know, each other's personal lives and personal space and, and are influenced by so many things. But in, in a lot of these games that try to create the, illusion of developing a relation a relationship it often gets boiled down to like did you talk to the person enough did you say you know yes at the right time and to me it it feels artificial in a way that other games like games that are interested in combat have they they found a way to make combat feel natural and have a flow and and be a very compelling aspect of the game yeah i agree i think that's why like i fell in love with florence's mechanics because it sometimes you know a relationship we're falling in love can feel like a puzzle like oh like does he actually like me or am I imagining it or whatever um but I think that's what is really important in having like more diverse perspectives and opinions when it comes to games and like what's interesting in games because um, obviously as we all know females play games and sometimes like having them making the games also will create new perspectives and new ideas and new ways to like handle different kinds of games and genres and get beautiful things from it. What What is it about romance games that appeals to players? Like what makes them sort of more appealing than, you know, any other kind of game in, in to certain people? Um, I mean, that's, I think that's, maybe difficult to pinpoint since everyone does have obviously their own unique likes and dislikes but as i've mentioned before i think a lot of what people like about romance games or games similar to it how neko atsume was just about collecting cats for you know no real reason other than oh look they're really cute um it's just (laughs) (laughs) it's 
I think people are interested in compassion and understanding and caring for people, um, especially in, you know, kind of the political sphere we're in or the world we're in, like going on Twitter sometimes feels like a nightmare. Um, and you want sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you know, still, like, majority totally of the fine. Time. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of like not even like an escapist thing, but just a way to get a grip on the world and to kind of ground yourself. There's so much like shock and information and change and interactivity, which is amazing and great sometimes. But I think romance games help us listen to each other, um, help us like think differently and kind of relate to one another again when it's kind of a time that's been hard to do. And I'm interested in in maybe why you think a game like Mass Effect and, and the other, I, I guess, the other Bioware games for them, for that matter, include romance. It, it seems interesting to me because a game like Mass Effect, I feel like the shooting side of that game would survive without the romance side of the game. But I don't think the romance side of it would survive without the shooting side of it. And yet people still seem very drawn to those series. And, and a lot of people cite the the romantic, uh, you know, like the uh, romantic relationships as a a reason for why they like those games. So why, why do you think that that is? Why is that like something that, that Bioware seems um, compelled to include in a lot of their games? Yeah, so an interesting thing about that is that I think that they actually don't market the fact that you can romance people as a huge selling point of it because it is, like you said, such an important part of it. Kit Fox's captain, Tanya, she went on a retreat recently with some other game designers and they actually talked about coziness in games and how important that was. And essentially, I feel like the juxtaposition between like, you know, shooting and killing whatever um, and the romance side kind of play well into each other where like each one, because it's not like constant tension throughout the entire game, like having it broken up with moments of like relationships and like romance and getting to know a character really helps with the whole entire experience of it. If a horror movie were continually just tension of like, oh, is it going to jump out now? Like at one point you're going to be like, I'm sick of this. <laughs> but having like the lulls and the little moments of like coziness and warmth, um, I think really makes you connect with the characters and it makes you care so much more when you're actually like using, well, I don't know, to shoot someone else, right? Because you've formed a relationship with them or you kind of know what they're like and it makes you connect with them more deeply. We recently did an episode about tension in design, and I tried to make that exact point, but I think you just, you summed it up way better, <laughs> way better than I did in that episode. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll be taking over your job tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think what makes Mass Effect so successful with the romance aspect of it and why people enjoy it so much is because that series is not necessarily about the end of the galaxy, saving everybody. Um, it's not even really about the politics that are involved that they that they touch on. It's you know you you spend the entire second game just recruiting people and talking to them and learning their backstories, helping them you know with with their side missions, and it is just about building relationships. And it it kind of that that romance aspect sort of takes it to the to the next level where you get to go a little bit deeper into you know the context behind uh, the relationship between Shepard and and whoever it is that you're interacting with. So I think that's why I liked it is because Mass Effect, I think, is more a game about building and developing relationships than it is about shooting aliens and, and saving the world. And uh, that, that really, I think, resonates with me in, in such a triple A game like that. Are there certain games, Jared, that 
romance systems seem to fit more naturally than others? Yeah, I mean, RPGs are a great way because they are so story-driven. You have a lot more opportunity to explore the nuance of human relationships. I I don't know that you would see that in other genres as much. I mean, if you think about like an open-world game, I don't know. Get, throw out like a, what's your favorite open world game you know like fallout for example is i i didn't find a single person in that game to be in, in any you know starting from fallout 3 to new vegas and 4 there wasn't a single character in that game that i felt that my character really connected to in the ways that more story focused games are so i i don't know to, to me i i tend to, to lean towards a produced and narrated story versus an open-ended experience when it comes to this type of thing. Now, Victoria, does it seem to you that RPGs are maybe the area where romantic relationships are the most pursued by developers? I think so. I mean, romance obviously works very well in a narrative sense. So any narrative kind of game, any kind of visual novel is pretty great for romance. But otherwise, I think, yeah, RPGs would probably be the best just because it's a role-playing game so you are playing a role and that would probably make sense with romance but I'd be interested honestly to see like how else other minds could like think of ways to incorporate romance into a genre that I maybe haven't thought about so like how Boyfriend Dungeon is doing the dungeon crawling dating sim what if there was a romantic MMO wait that's second life (laughs) 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 okay maybe not second life but you know you know what i mean someone out there probably i hope can think of a way to incorporate romance into a game that maybe you wouldn't have expected and it would be like oh why wasn't this always a thing you know you do hear stories about people meeting and falling in love in mmos you know but those are two humans interacting you know they kind of just meet and essentially, it's a, it's a chat room, interactive chat room. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about a game like EVE Online, which is like the sandbox of all sandbox MMOs, there's not really anything that you have to do in that game. Uh, I, I don't know if I've heard of any romance happening in that universe. You know, it's, it's very much about collecting resources and gaining wealth. So I, I don't know. I mean, MMOs are, does that count in this discussion? You know, because in Final Fantasy XI, I remember you could, like, craft a wedding ring and they, they, they held in-game weddings for people. Maybe. I mean, sure. I think, I guess because the mechanics don't necessarily, aren't necessarily, like, you're not supposed to, I find, like, your husband or wife or whatever on an MMO, but it happens. So they kind of were like, okay, well, maybe add something to that. Um, but it'd be interesting to actually see something, like, based on, like, I don't know, like building a house together. I don't, this is, I'm not a game designer, so don't trust my <laughs> ideas. <laughs> no, don't sell yourself short. I would, I would play that house building sim. <laughs> the, um, I think the reason that that happens in MMOs is that by their nature, MMOs are about social interaction. It's about mm. uh, players coming together. So the tools to develop social relationships exist in those games. You know, so a, a game like Final Fantasy XI sort of took it that next step and included the ability to wed another character, you know, and, and, and craft a, a wedding ring. But the the romantic relationships develop sort of organically uh, out of the mechanics that were available to players in those games. Yeah, it happened to be two real living people that engaged in that relationship, 
But again, I think that if the the tools for social interaction and the design for social interaction was put into a, a PVE game, you would see people having very similar experiences where they were developing sort of more developed and grounded relationships, even if it's with uh, an NPC. And then we just wrote the script to the movie Her. Uh, no. I was about to bring that up too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, okay. So bear with me here. Porn is often at the forefront of a lot of technical revolutions. Porn has implications in mainstream media. You know, it's the reason that VHS won over Betamax. It's the reason why... It's the reason we have the internet. <laughs> it's basically yeah. the reason the internet exists, right? So, you know, you, you, there's discussions happening about sex robots and the AI behind them and there was that news article recently about the company developing the ai that has the option to tell you that it doesn't want sex you know even though that's what they kind of built this robot thing to do i i think maybe as that becomes the a thing you know because surely people are going to be into that uh we'll see some of that technology in more mainstream environments like video games and i i don't know i think that ai like in her is probably on the horizon, but I, I don't. <laughs> it's it's a it's a very interesting thing when you're talking about what is the depth of a relationship that you want. What is the amount of time that you want to put into a relationship with a with a computer character as as the player? It's you know that's a little hard to define because I think that's different for everybody. But I think maybe the safe way to answer a question like that is how does the, how does the development of a relationship service the story that that's happening in the game? So like, you know, I I would be interested in a really fully fleshed out organic relationship that takes place over the, over the course of a narrative arc and and then reaches a conclusion, you know, reaches the end of the game, and then I can move on to something else. But but you want that th- to be more of a dynamic experience as, as opposed to scripted, right? Um, no, not necessarily. As long as the interactions feel like natural and organic, because what we have right now is, you know, in in a scripted game, what happens is you you shoot aliens until you get to a point where you watch a cutscene of the romance happen or you watch, you know, or you have some expository dialogue exchange with another character. And none of that feels natural or organic in a video game setting. But I think that there are ways like uh, like Florence does to, to sort of like maybe gamify or or represent the complexities of that relationship, even if it is on a set trajectory. Yeah, I think metaphor is powerful and games are very good at that or can have mechanics that are very good at explaining metaphors. Sometimes it's strange the way some romance pans out. Like, again, in Stardew Valley, it's very unnatural to be giving someone gifts once a week and then having them fall in love with you. And then it kind of feels like a weird, like, equivalent exchange where, like, you know, I gave you a 100 of these corn husks, so now you definitely have to marry me because you're in love with me. (laughs) That was... that was how I wooed my wife in real life. Oh, <laughs> I'm so wrong then. Oh no. <laughs> you know, Tinder, isn't it that, that app where you, you build a bonfire for someone else and then you get married? Yeah. Okay. Wait, I actually learned the name Tinder is actually so smart because like, you know, you swipe it, like you would swipe a match and then it becomes a flame, like the flame of love. I was like, oh. what? Oh. what? Okay. Yeah. Anyways, that's my little... <laughs> 
my line, I guess. I, I always liked in, in Fallout, in Fallout 4 with Piper, she's the, the newspaper, the, the woman who runs the newspaper in that game, that in order to romance her, what what you had to do in that game was just pick locks in front of her. That was like, that was really her big turn on. <laughs> it's like when you, when you picked a lock. Listen, we're not going to start yeah. kink shaming here. <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm not kink shaming. <laughs> no, it makes sense, it's, right? It's like, it, it's kind of like how, like, you know, if you saw a music, if, that's why people fall for musicians. You just, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, really talented at singing? So, well, this person's just really talented at picking locks. <laughs> Everyone has their thing. Exactly. Why is it that it seems like games that are primarily interested in telling stories about romance, why do they seem to be relegated to the indie space? Like, why does the triple A space not necessarily seem interested in telling these stories, Victoria? Do you have any insight on on maybe why, like, like who decides what, what is popular, what's not popular, and, and, and where the money goes when games are being developed like this? Yes. So... To be as vague as possible. <laughs> um, in my experience, I have found that many people who are making the decisions about which games are fun, which games are popular, um, and which games like are being developed are straight white men. <laughs> um, and obviously, as you two, I'm sh- are sure are, are like are great straight white men. You're like the interests that like they have like you know they want to make games that are interesting to them which is fine i think if you like shooting games you can have shooting games it's just having different perspectives making these decisions is important and that's actually why i feel like more indie games are doing the romance things because we have more female leaders we have more diverse opinions when it comes to what is fun it's like you know you when you're a game developer you usually want to make a game that's interesting to you or else why would you be making it or why would you want to design it why would you want to put your money and time into it so especially with triple a's where it's like a lot of corporate things a lot of oh we need to target the esports teams and all the like you know men that love shooting and violence and guns as we saw in the most recent e3 of there are so many guns just so oh, yeah. many <laughs> and in, in the indie space, um, at least in my experience, I found like a lot more diverse opinions about like what they would like to see and like kind of the time. And obviously they also have to care about making money so that they can survive, but they're more open to experiencing different ideas. And because there are so many indie games being released, sometimes having like that, that, that diverse opinion is what is going to make your game popular. Like how Dream Daddy was not a thing before and then suddenly it is. <laughs> Cracks me up how people started playing that game ironically because it just looked like another one of those dating sims that comes out and kind of gets put by the wayside. But then we're like, this is this is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's like had a full boyfriend, you know, the pigeon dating simulator. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. on paper, it sounds perfect. Yeah, no, it's like people played it because like this is weird and I'm not going to spoil it again. But like if you play through all the dating things, there's another storyline that is actually the most interesting storyline. And it's definitely worth a play or at least like watching someone play through it because wow, that's great writing. Uh, but yeah, so again, it's like that kind of thing where it's like take a weird idea or what people think is a weird idea and just, and these can usually develop it because they're interested in it or they, they're like, why not have a silly idea? Um, Dream Daddy helped because it had the game grumps behind them, but you know. Now the, the experience. So one of the reasons I like, I like Dream Daddy was that they, Obviously, it's the sort of dating sim formula for a game, uh, but they had the relationship with the daughter, which I think 
lent a lot of context to the decisions that you as the player were making in that game. Mm-hmm. What is that typical of dating sims, Victoria? I, I guess I don't know if you how much experience you have with with dating sim games, but from from your experience, is is that kind of external, you know, that that sort of external factor a common thing that exists in those games, or or most of them just interested in the like you pick the right option until you develop the relationship successfully. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that Dream Daddy was was great in that it had the daughter because honestly, I cared more about the daughter usually than dating anyone. And in my, I haven't played obviously like all the dating sims, but in my experience, I haven't seen that as being too common. And I think that would be actually really interesting to see in the future. Like maybe you could have a dating sim that is just about platonic relationships or family relationships, like a different kind of love. And there's like different fetish dating sims. There's different like type, like again, like the pigeon dating sim, the tank dating sim, or the dinosaur dating sim. It, <laughs> Wait, there's a there's a dinosaur dating sim. Oh yeah, there is a dinosaur dating sim. I forgot what it's called, but it. Mm, I'm gonna the find flood, it. the floodgates are opened on all this stuff. Oh yeah, look, the dating sims they go all over the place. Ah, it's called Jurassic Heart. My dating sim yes. adventure <laughs> with a ukulele playing T Rex. <laughs> That's way better of a title than I ever imagined. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's fun and it's interesting. Um, there's also a dating sim about John Cena, if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> dating sims the are the future sometimes. of storytelling, man. I, I tell you. It's the future. Yeah, it's just, it's fun. Like, why not, like, if... Why not just live out a weird fantasy that you've had, or do you like you know live out a a romance in like a safe environment? So I know that I obviously from my dream daddy comment, um, I really like the bad boys, but I know in real life I don't want them. But in a dating sim context, like it's fine to you know explore those kinds of relationships. Uh, but that totally goes away from the topic we were talking about, which was external relationships, which again I haven't seen, but would love to see way more of. Yeah, and I think that I guess that goes more to the point I was trying to make earlier. Is just that there's a lot more that feeds into relationships than just mm-hmm. did you pick enough locks in front of this person. <laughs> that that there's there's all kinds of, of factors around the relationship that impact it. And, it. and it was cool to see that father daughter relationship because I agree. I mean, seeing how the daughter affects the choices that a player makes is is maybe more interesting than. Just, you know, I, I like the vampire daddy, so I'm going to try and, and do all the right things to attract him. Instead, now you've got this daughter that that kind of informs those decisions and lends weight to those decisions. That, that was really interesting in that game. Does it seem does it seem like there might be a problem with this idea of gamifying romance? Like if, if video games are are distilling the idea of romance down to a very few simple actions. Do you think that that distorts the idea of romance in players' heads? Maybe some of the more impressionable players out there, Victoria? I think this is an interesting question because my gut reaction, and this is not based on anything, my gut reaction is to be like, no, like this is like the, does do video games cause violence kind of idea? Mm-hmm. I think when I think about it more, um, it does. And obviously I I don't know if there's any scientific research on this, but if there is, I would love to read it. Um, but I think it does. I think it affects us maybe not in like a monkey see, monkey do way where it's like, oh, you know, I'm not acting like 
um, this person in a game where like, you know, they're being problematic. So I'm definitely not being affected by it. But I think it could change your perception of it in romance in a more nuanced way, um, which is why I think it's important to have more different, I guess, ideas on it and more diverse ways of showing romance other than just like quotation mark kindness tokens of like I will give you this or if I keep picking the right thing like you will definitely sleep with me by the end of Mm. this in terms of gamifying romance like the again like the kind of like transactiony equivalent exchange idea of romance yeah I think it can be problematic but I think it can also be done in a way that makes it non-problematic I think some cool games I've seen of this so not even like gamifying it but having different word options and seeing and having like a safe way to explore I think how maybe different people might react to things um, is really valuable uh, one night stand was a pretty good game about obviously one night stand the choices you made in it really kind of opened your up your eyes and I've never had a one night stand but it's kind of like interesting to explore that kind of way and I don't think it's gamifying. Like, narrative experiences, it's not really gamifying it, other than, like, you know, like, yes, no, maybe um, this was a good option, this was a bad option. I think it, I think it, if done well, it's a good way to explore something maybe that you might have not experienced otherwise. Jared, how about you? Do you think that, do you think that gamifying romance maybe has any effect on gamers in the world? I think that the gaming industry as a whole is is maturing and, and making better decisions. I mean, of course, we have stuff like, I think it was God of War 3 that had the threesome scene where you're quick-timing your way into pleasuring other women. You know, it's it's that's really silly and dumb way to do it. But we are moving away from that type. Obviously, you could see the way that God of War, the, the new one, has, has changed um, just their stance on storytelling and the relationships in that game, you know, wh- whether it be between Kratos and and the the witch that, that lives in the woods near him, or Kratos and his son, just telling very more, telling a lot more nuanced stories. I don't think we're gonna see a whole lot of games where it's problematic. You know, in the past, sure there are examples like God of War where I, I think it's it's real dumb. Um, you know, Grand Theft Auto has always been in the news for being able to pick up a hooker and then take her money afterwards. And it's just, it's just kind of dumb mechanics that don't add a whole lot. And there's always going to be those games that exist. But I, I do think that we are moving towards exploring more nuanced ways of telling those relationships. So I, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of uh, gamifying romance that I find problematic in you know games that I'm interested in, but I'm sure they exist. Yeah, I'm just curious because... I, I... Especially lately, you know, with the with the rise in social media, there's there's definitely a certain amount of entitlement that goes along with with gaming. You know, with with fans online, there certainly certainly seems to be a strong sense of entitlement. And I'm curious if some of that, especially some of the animosity directed towards women in the you know in game design, comes from some some of these standards that have long been established in games. And and I'm curious if you know, the way that romance is portrayed in games maybe feeds a, a part of that. I, I mean, I agree with you, Victoria. I think it's like the violence discussion in that I don't think you can point to any one game and say like this game made, you know, made this dude into a douchebag. But I think maybe taken as a whole, there might be an argument to say that like video games or media, you know, the way media in general represents relationships between two people 
has sort of like oversimplified it and, and warped the way that we think about relationships when we think about them. I don't know. I'd love to hear more. Like, uh, we, we should like reach out to Jamie Madigan or someone and see if we can get some more insight on this. Cause I would be curious if there has been uh, research done on this topic. Victoria, how can the industry improve on the way that it represents romance in games? Yeah, so I've kind of touched upon this before, but essentially having more diverse uh, people making these decisions, designing the games, being in charge, saying what's like interesting or um, normal to them, I guess, would be interesting. So again, not just men, but women and everything in between that and non-binary and just having like those queer narratives and people who are interested in different things and who find like video games about guns and violence boring, I think is really interesting to have their input on it. Yeah. I think it's all about like having those diverse opinions again about what is fun and what gameplay means to them. I think that, I think that that's hugely important. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Jared, how about you? What can the industry do to improve on the way it represents romance in games? Lip on lip technology. I've never <laughs> seen a video game kiss that looked good. It's so bad every time wait, I see a, a no. character's kiss in a video Not, game. Wait, 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 wait. Did, I mean, are you talking? Are you saying that even the the kiss from uh, Last of Us Part Two yeah. was didn't seem uh, authentic to you? I've only really watched that trailer once. I have, I did not study that scene very closely. I mean, I heard that they motion captured that, so it's probably better than most. But uh, you know, The Witcher has a lot of interactions where you, you kiss another player or another character, and it's just bad. I, I just I, that's my joke answer, really. <laughs> um, my my real answer is I, I think that it would be beneficial for companies especially like Bioware that they put so much emphasis on the relationships between the characters to expand upon that and, and make it uh, substantive you know I, I know that people have come to expect it in those types of games often I find that it's kind of thrown in to the narrative in a way that that has that maybe a bit of cognitive dissonance between what's happening and you know, this one one off scene because you finally got enough romance points for to see that cutscene. Uh, I would like to see there be a narrative reason for that in other games. Um, in, in a game like To the Moon, which is almost barely a game, you know, there's very little that you do in that game other than walk through the story for the most part. It's it's about the relationship between Johnny and his and his wife River. And it, it just tells like it's it's like a it's like a love poem. This thing is it's tragic. It's funny. It, it, it hits on all the right notes to being a, a believable relationship. And I, I don't know. I don't know how it's done, but I would like to see that explored more. No, and, and to, I guess, comment on your joke answer. I, I think there there is like a, a grain of truth in what you're talking about. Right. Like we video games are so good at simulating what it looks like when a person gets eviscerated, right? <laughs> but we can't nail the very simple uh, act of two characters kissing without it look looking like two robots mashing their faces together. And I think that speaks again to sort of the, some of the priorities that these games have, right? Like from the outset, video games have been more interested in the way that we represent violence and not so interested in the way that we represent social interactions or interpersonal real, interpersonal relationships. So I, you know, I 
I think that further developing the ways that we represent romance in games, you know, starting to make them more nuanced, starting to have more of the the sort of real world factors take effect in the in the way that these relationships are um, are handled will go a long way to improving those things like what you're talking about, the way that they're visually represented in the medium. And I think a big part of that is exactly like what Victoria said, is getting people with alternative views on game design into the space making these games. I think that that will have a big impact. So I, you know, it, it was a joke answer, but I think, I think you had, you were onto something there. Did we get to everything we wanted to cover with romance? I think so. Yes. I think that was good. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anything before we moved on to some of our listener feedback. Before we get to listener feedback, though, I, I need to take a moment and thank our, our past guest, Jeff Mattis. He was on our silent protagonist episode. He actually hooked us up with some digital codes for his game Narcosis. And for those that might remember, it was the game. It's like a psychological horror game. You play as an engineer who's trapped at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, my God. And that sounds uh, terrifying. <laughs> oh, it's like my worst nightmare. And I'm so excited to play this game. It comes out on uh, PlayStation 4 on Tuesday. If you're listening to this episode... Uh, it should already be out. That's Tuesday, the 24th of July. But we want to give some of those codes out. So if you're interested in getting your hands on any of the, the codes for Narcosis, uh, all you got to do is write us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com. And we want to hear about what your favorite romantic relationship in a video game is and why. It's that easy. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna randomly select a few people to get some codes. All you got to do, again, email us at podcast at gbfeature.com. Tell us about your favorite romantic relationship in a game and why it's your favorite. And then in the email somewhere, just also tell us what system you would want to get it on. So it's available for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Just include that somewhere in the email. Again, favorite romantic relationship and why. That's all you got to do. And the system you want it on. Jared, <laughs> what what do we got? What do we got for feedback today? Yeah, our number one fan on Twitter, Mr. Mischievous, wrote to us and he said, This is in regards to our episode about vendors and shops in video games mm -hmm. mr mischievous says in games that you can steal from the shopkeep if you steal from a shop it would be cool if the quality of items sold dropped down or eventually if you kept it up it closed down from lack of sales the npc shopkeep could hunt you down and be a nemesis for ruining their life oh my gosh <laughs> i like that idea I, I like this Put idea. Put this guy out of business, and then now you have <laughs> now you have uh, an assassin on your hands. I'm I'm curious about why Mr. Mischievous is so interested in running shopkeeps out of business, but <laughs> that. <laughs> why aside, do you hate I, small business? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, can't he just shop at Walmart like the rest of us and do that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is an interesting idea. I, as the technology around AI in games advances, these are exactly the kinds of interactions that I'm excited for. This idea, you know, that, that characters can have living, dynamic lives outside of just, you know, their typical, you know, I, I run a shop and this is all I do. Yeah. Show up here at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm so still, often I'm still like standing just here. that one-dimensional throwaway character that you never hear from outside of their, their little booth or whatever. So it'd be fun yeah. to, to involve them in that way. Exactly. Victoria, do you, have a, uh, do you have a favorite, like, shop or vendor from a video game that you can think of? Oh, my gosh. Not that I can think. Oh, wait. Uh, the shopkeepers from Undertale. Oh yeah, that's they a good are one. so funny. There's the the two. I forgot what they were called, but like the two females who just finish each other's sentences. I'm like, they're so bratty, <laughs> and I love it. Um, but I did recently play Moonlighter, where you are the shopkeeper, 
So maybe my favorite shopkeeper is myself. There you go. Whoa. It's funny. There have been a few of those games recently that put you in the in the shoes of the shopkeeper. There was the the roguelike as well, which I can't remember the name of. We were doing that as well, where like you're the one supplying the adventurers who are going into the dungeon and you're managing supply and demand. I like that games, you know, especially in the indie space, are are playing with the idea of what a a shopkeeper means in a video game world and reevaluating it in that space. It's really cool. So thank you, Mr. Mischievous. Uh, please never uh, uh, attend any of the shops that I run in real life. I don't want you putting me out of business. <laughs> Again, you can always reach us with your feedback. It's podcast at gbfeature.com is the email address, or you can get to us at gbfeature on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We, we like hearing all the feedback and you could maybe even get hooked up with one of those sweet narcosis codes. I think it's going to do it. Before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Victoria Tran. Victoria, thank you so much for being here. This has been a really fun conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. It was really fun to talk about romance with you, too. Well, I'm, I, and I'm glad we were able to spoil the entire PAX talk that you have coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria, where can people keep up with you online? How can they find the, the video games you're working on, your comics and all that stuff? Lay the details out there for them. All right. Yeah. So if you want to follow me on my personal account, um, I'm on Twitter at the VTran. Uh, but I also run the social media accounts of Kit Fox Games at Kit Fox Games and Peach Butt Comics at Peach Butt Comics. So really, you can have three different ways of talking to me. Uh, but yeah, you can find me all there. And Kit Fox also has a Discord and a Facebook page, all at Kit Fox Games. So easy to find. Right on. And as you get more details about Boyfriend Dungeon, uh, anything about the Kickstarter, let us know because we'd be happy to uh, help amplify that message and get get people excited for it. Yes, please. It's going to be great and exciting. And there will be cool merch that I really want myself. (laughs) (laughs) I want to can I get can I get a replica of one of the datable swords? I wish. Maybe if we Kickstarter Kickstarter tier. New new tier for the Kickstarter. (laughs) All right, well, uh, Victoria, again, thank you so much for being here. As a reminder, we release new episodes of this show every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, please head over to our iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. And I'm at Jared Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.